Guys, welcome to the podcast. This is going to be episode number 401 with David Verosco of North Rim Outfitters. And David lives in Kanab, Utah, and uh, has a real good uh, pulse on the Ponsagant. You're going to get to hear about the Ponsagant and the Henrys and um, some of the other units in Utah, hear how the deer are doing, hear how the drought conditions are, and what have you. Uh, I want to thank David for coming on this podcast also want to thank you guys uh, for your avid support. Remind you that you can send me an email if you wish at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also follow along my Instagram. I appreciate the support at jscottoutdoors. You can send me a direct message through Instagram. Uh, guys, I want to thank the sponsors for uh, sponsoring this podcast, Gohan Insider. As you know, we're right in the middle of application season. If you want the best resource to be able to look over the draw odds and harvest statistics and other great uh, tidbits of information, obviously you need to be a Gohan Insider member. Uh, you can sign up by using the J. Scott promo code and you're going to get a $50 uh, credit to the Gohunt gear shop. And uh, you can use that credit towards uh, purchases of great gear. Uh, use the J. Scott promo code. I want to thank Go Hunt Insider for their title sponsorship. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Make sure to go and visit kuyu.com to find out uh, all of the information on the best uh, ultralight hunting gear made on the market today. Uh, it's all I wear. It's all Dar wears, and uh, we love Kuyu. We thank them for their support. Uh, Phonescope.com, Cheston Davis. Uh, if you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount on all PhoneScope products, as well as the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority there in Arizona. Uh, Cody Nelson and his crew, uh, they sell uh, great tripods. Uh, they are the Optics Authority. They have all kinds of uh, great gear and stuff uh, there at the Outdoorsman's. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% uh, discount. You can call them on the phone at 1-800-291-8065 or you can go to outdoorsmans.com and use the J. Scott promo code as well. Guys, don't forget the application deadline for Utah is March 1st. Uh, do not miss the deadline. Make sure you get your applications in. Uh, I want to thank uh, the guys that I've had on talking about Utah. Uh, New Mexico and Colorado are up next. Uh, we're going to be breaking those states down as well. So let's get right to this episode. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a good friend of mine, David Barosco. David owns Barosco's Hunt Application Service and North Rim Outfitters. And David has been someone that I've known for probably close to 20 years or more, maybe. Um, and is someone I look up to very much in, in regards to Western hunting and knowledge and is a very good guide uh extremely good hunter and i'm fortunate to have david on the show today to talk about uh the utah big game draw which uh, guys remember the um, application deadline is coming up here march 1st david how you doing i'm doing great jay um it's been a long time i think i think i really I think I honestly was one of one of your first guys ever when you started these podcasts. So it's it's been a while, but I'm glad to be back. Yeah, I um, always got great feedback on our first podcast we did, and uh, been trying to corral you a little bit. Our schedules <laughs> have been uh, 
a little bit uh, hit or miss here and there, but I'm anxious to have you on the show today. Uh, David, with the application deadline uh, for uh, Utah coming up here in, in you know, a week or 10 days or so, March 1st is the deadline, um, as far as moisture goes, what does it look like for southern Utah? Um, ha have anything, you know, have, have these recent storms changed anything, or what is the forecast? Well, you know what? It's, it's been the hot topic that I've been talking with guys about heavily in the last few weeks is, is the moisture, more importantly, the lack thereof. Um, you know, when most guys think of hard winters, we think of deep snow, long extended freezing temperatures, dead does and fawns laying everywhere. In, in my neck of the woods, a hard winter is is often what we're going through is, is a, an extended dry spell. Um, <clears throat> I can't I can't remember a winter ever since even when I was a kid that we've been this dry. Um, and it what it does is it, it, it causes the deer and, and even the habitat to stress um, when they go this long. I think we were 88 days or something like that or close to it of measurable moisture in, in my neck of the woods. You know, I live right here in Kanab, right on the Pontagon unit, so um, I'm right in the heart of it where where a lot of guys congregate both north and south of this border that I'm on. So um, it's it's it, it was tough for me. You know, I, I trapped most of the winter and out there trapping. It was There was several days in December and January that I was in a T-shirt walking around Several days, I'd look out south of the Pontagon, out to the Arizona Strip, and the Kaibab, and see you could see the you could see the haul trucks going out the uranium mines, the dust flowing, you know, in in December when normally that's a July, August type thing. So we we were dry, we are dry, and there's just there's nothing you can really do about it at this point. Um, Eighty-eight days is a long time. <laughs> How do you think um, it affects antler growth and, you know, body condition? I mean, is there, is there one train of thought that it's dry, yes, uh, but there's not, there haven't been extreme cold temperatures, you know, it's not stressful on their body? Is there any part of you that thinks that, you know, if we had some spring moisture, we could be bailed out and antler growth will be just fine? Or are you one that thinks that uh, we definitely, you know, North, you know, northern Arizona and, you know, southern Utah definitely have something to worry about on antler growth. Yeah, I think they do. There's there's no doubt in my mind that we have to worry about it. Um, you know, I've, I've long since thrown in the towel trying to outguess Mother Nature in these things, but what I do know is the amount of time that I spend out in the hills every year and with these animals and on this same land and that that never fails me, you know, my gut never, you know, I, I've been wrong before, but I, I think we're, I don't think we're going to have a great antler growth year in, right here in my neck of the woods, you know, and what sucks is 2017, on the Ponsagon anyway, I'll never see an antler growth year like that in my lifetime, ever. I mean, there, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, it was, it was like 2010 on the Strip, you know, I mean, there was just <laughs> giant bucks everywhere, and there really was, but and so we have, we have, we're coming right on the heels of such a great antler growth year that my phone and my email has been blowing up about, man, I've got X points, should I switch over to the Pontagon? You know, I mean, and, you know, last time we talked, I've been preaching the Pontagon before it was cool. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I could yeah. see it. And we have, we have a phenomenal uh, wildlife biologist, uh, Josh Pollock. Um, we have a phenomenal 
uh, field office at the BLM here in Kanab, um, led by Harry Barber. He's got some great guys, and he's got some great initiative, and he's doing things habitat-wise that, in in my opinion, is unprecedented. Um, I'm sure there's projects like that in other Western states, but I get to see it firsthand here. These mastications that they're doing, the reseedings, they're they're going to town for, and and they're 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 doing it for the range to be healthy, but they're doing it for the cattlemen, for the hunters. They're doing it for all the right reasons. And Josh is a he's a Southern Utah boy that he understands and appreciates and has a passion for giant deer. I was out doing doing some looking with him earlier this year. You know, he told me, he says, man, I, I just really want to make the Ponceant the premier unit in Utah again. I want, you know, nothing against the Henrys, but this is, what, this is the goal, and he's doing it. He's doing it with different um, strategies, with different opportunities, with different tactics, um, and, it, and it's that coupled with what the BLM doing, in my opinion, is what's really turning this thing around now. Now we're, now we're seeing the fruits of, you know, maybe what some of us were preaching five, six years ago. So it's, it's, it's disheartening for me to see all this hard work and then, and then Mother Nature deliver us a hand of, of, a, of a really dry and stressful winter. Um, you kind of touched on, you know, the, the stress factor, and it's prevalent in these deer, whether, whether it's deep snow and freezing temperatures or whether it's no moisture and, um, you know, and dry, and dry temperatures. And I think both stress equally. And I, and I see, yeah. and I see it, you know, there was, there was times I'd, I'd roll up on an old cattle pond and it'd be down to just tumbleweeds and, and puddles. And there's 10 or 11 deer bedded on the dike and there's three coyotes 50 yards away from, you know, laying down on their bellies, not even actively hunting the deer, but they're staying by water too. You know, I, I come across more, more coyote kills, um, more lion kills this year because it was easy targets. They were, they were huddled around any source of water this winter. So, um, you know, like I say, it's, and, and you can see it in their eyes. I mean, you can see it. They're, they're stressed. They're usually they'll let you roll up, jump out, take some pictures, take some video. And they were, I don't know if they were just being harassed a lot, but most of the deer were pretty skittish this winter on the Ponsigant. Um, once it got later, you know, especially once the rut got, go, uh, got over. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. Um, I don't think it's going to be doom, gloom, devastation, but you know, I, I think we're going to have a slightly below average antler growth year here. Um, but the springs could turn things around. I mean, we rebound pretty quick ourselves if we've had a rough patch. Um, I just, like I said, I just know that they're not as, as healthy as they as they normally are on, on a year where we at least have some moisture, at least dif- disperse the deer to different areas, not have them so congregated and, and in the same areas where there's water. So, but we did. We, you know, last week we had two or three really good days of rain and snow, and it's funny how quick you forget about <laughs> 80 plus days of of dry. When you get that, yeah. I'm, the other day I looked out the window and went, "Oh, we'll be fine." And then you know you forget about that stuff. So I really on the Ponsagon, I think it's going to be a tough go. I think we're always going to have big deer, you know, because the, the truth of the matter is, you know, we don't have to have old deer to have big deer here. Our genetics are rich, so. Um, there's always going to be, you know, some some big deer here, even on bad years. It's just the selection might not be as much as you'd like. So, you, um, know, you know, you said last year, the 2017, that it was the best antler growth year you've seen on the Ponsagot and may ever see in your lifetime. You were able to capitalize on that with a tag, and, and 
I'm looking at your Instagram page, and I encourage the listeners, if you don't follow David, uh, to do so. And and uh, David's uh, Instagram page is just for Roscoe. It's B-I-R-O-S-T-K-O. And David, you killed, I'm looking here at this picture, a 218-inch frame, 240-inch gross, 5 by 6 It's got just, it looks like um, 50 inches of mass, uh, just an incredible buck. Uh, um, it looks like you nicknamed this buck um, Murphy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and, and Murphy's law has followed me around my whole life. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you finally killed Murphy's law, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, like I say, I, I, um, you know, it was... It was it was pretty stressful to be honest with you. I had you know we ne we never take more than three archery hunters a year on the Ponsignant, never more than three months of loader, never more than uh, four uh, rifles. So we we keep our we keep our business more about quality than quantity. Um, we we like to specialize in that. Myself um, and the guys that that work for me, we're all cut from the same cloth. And the fact that we just don't want to go kill deer or elk or, or sheep we want to we want to hunt the one percenters and so and that's what makes it fun it's tough to do that when you run a big camp so we always keep it small so this year i, I drew that tag and i actually had a client booked who had he had he had purchased a ponscott tag and he purchased um a cwmu tag at the same time and he just said go you know i want to hunt the biggest deer we can find and so i turned this deer up in late june and <laughs> And I knew, I knew in my heart of hearts that well, I'm going to be surrendering my tag and watching somebody else kill it, <laughs> and, which was, which was more than fine. You know, I, I know the gig. I've done this a long time. So, um, but a part of me inside was going, man, I hope he chooses to hunt and see me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the and and the longer it went and the further it got, you know, I was totally honest with him. Showed him all the trail camera pictures. Showed him what little bit of video we were able to get of him. The, the buck lived in a really nasty spot and. And ultimately, um, the guy's a stud um, that that I had booked, and he had a giant deer on the CMU as well. And you know, I told him, I said, "Man, I I really, honestly, don't think we're gonna kill this deer. Where he is, it's gonna be tough." Um, he was, you know, I laid eyes on him, actual eyes on him, four times all year, including the evening that I killed him. And so he was just in a bad spot, really tough place to glass, really flat, really thick. Um, there, there was some trackable country, but a lot of it was, was tough. And, you know, I knew he had, he had two water sources. He was, he was drinking on a pond and he was drinking on a little seep. And so it was just flipping a coin and hoping that we were sitting in the right place. And I knew we'd have to kill him on water. Um, and so, and that's what we, that's, that's what I finally ended up doing. But, what it came down to, I called him, you know, a week before the hunt and said, man, I, I really think we're going to hunt, if you can give me 28 days the whole season, I think we might kill him. And, you know, he says, well, are you, if I turn, if I go hunt somewhere else, are you going to hunt him? I said, absolutely. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to hunt any other deer, you know, I'll, I'll hunt this deer till, till 28 days is up and I'll burn my tag with a smile on my face, you know, and he says, well, then I'm going to go hunt the other place. And, I hung up the phone and screamed like a little girl. I was all excited that I finally got to go hunt my own tag, <laughs> and uh, and had a buck and had a buck like this to hunt too. So um, it was fun. Um, I didn't. I hunted him pretty much by myself. I, I was was really careful to to kind of keep him quiet. Um, in fact, I didn't tell a lot of my guys, my own guys. I had a tag till July, um, just because. Um, but 
in this day and age, with as competitive as hunting is, especially on these premier units like the Henrys, the Ponscon, the Strip, you know, I, I, I can't, I couldn't remember after the hunt we were talking about. It, I, I couldn't remember a time where we've had a deer that big, all by ourselves, and there was nobody else that knew about the deer. Nobody had any pictures of him, truck him, pictures of him, nothing. And he was in a spot that I've seen deer in there. I've never seen a big deer in there till this year, and so I've, you know, I, I knew I wouldn't have a lot of pressure, outside pressure from other hunters if we kept it quiet. And honestly, that was that was probably the most the the most special part of the hunt for me is to have a deer like that not have to worry about out hunting other hunters just to go hunt him even though it was pretty gay i mean i hate shitting water i have zero 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 patience and so it was a test of my <clears throat> test of uh to to see if i you know would, would do what it took to get it done because I, I tried hunting him a couple different times um you know, I tracked him down the one day, jumped him like at 40 yards with a flipping bow in my hand. I was like, this is worthless, you know. So, I mean, it's it was just a tough tough deal for me personally to just sit there. But he finally, like I, like I said, after 16 days, he finally, finally came in. Um, and God, you couldn't have scripted it any better. Um, and and it, you know, it all worked out. So, um, but... It was, it was really neat as far as that goes. Like I said, the, the antler growth year was awesome. There was times sitting in that blind that I questioned my sanity because we had so many giant deer found. Um, I, we were looking at the hit list the other day, and, and our number five buck was killed by another archery hunter, and he was he was over 230 as well. And that, I mean, wasn't even in the top three. So it was just it was just insane, the antler growth last year. It was a lot of fun. It made us look way better than we are. In all reality, there was just a bunch of big deer running around. So so it was it was pretty easy to, to get on them and stay on them. And we had a good batch of hunters, too. Um, you know, we killed a 203 typical opening day, shot another big buck that we actually lost uh, on the archery hunt that was dirty big, and, and then my deer. And then we killed a giant typical on the muzzleloader hunt that was 206 gross, netted just under 200, um, a 214 deer, and then our third muzzleloader hunter was hunting my number two deer and that I had on the archery hunt that I thought was in the velvet, I thought was probably 240-ish, you know, hard horn, I thought he was probably 230, but he hunted him the whole hunt and ate his tag and maybe had one quick opportunity that we should have capitalized on, but, you know, it is what it is, and then that deer lived, you know, seen him on the winter range, um, so he was out breeding. He, I, he rutted really hard, and, I, and he's not a young deer by any means, so I'm kind of skeptical to see how he comes back. Um, well, you know, only time will tell, especially with this drought, but it was a lot of fun last year um, as far as summer scouting, archery, and muzzleloader. The rifle hunt, <laughs> it was one of the worst, worst nine days of my life on this unit. It was just, it was brutal. It was really tough. Um, it was really warm, it was dry, um, the deer just really had moved early and got down below on the, through the migration earlier, a little earlier than normal. And so, you know, our, our transition areas, the, the, the middle of the unit where we like to get up on the ledges and glass and turn up a buck and go kill him, they were, they, they turned out to be more, more futile than productive. And so, you know, it was tough. I mean, it really was. We always have one or two deer dead by Monday or Tuesday of the hunt by the third or fourth day, and I think it was 
I think it was day eight of a nine-day hunt before we finally killed a deer, and then we, we smoked three in 24 hours, you know, within the last two days. But it was just a, it was a tough go. There were some really good deer killed. Um, you know, one of my favorite deer, a, a kid from Utah, pounded on the, uh, on the third or fourth day. I, I don't know. But it was a deer that we were kind of looking for, and it was it was awesome. I mean, it, it had 50 inches of mass, hard horned. I mean, it was a, it was a tank. Um, so that was probably one of the better deer I heard of, um, getting killed on the rifle hunt. Um, so, but like I say, the good thing about a tough rifle hunt was the, the carryover it produced, which is the saving grace for the, the drought we're going through right now here uh, in the winter. So there's a lot of good age class, a lot of good solid bucks that made it through that have potential to really be something next year so moving forward um even with the drought conditions on the ponce the way it is um and let's just say it's you know an average or below average year on the ponce moving forward with the strides that it's made and the habitats made and such and and in the age class and what have you that's come back i mean are you super optimistic if they keep tag levels everything the same that you know, over the next five, six, seven years, um, obviously, you know, the Pontagon obviously is back, but can it maintain and can it sustain, um, you know, the level that you're hoping for? Yeah, I, I have I have extreme faith in that. Um, again, because of who's, you know, in charge of kind of running the show, who's over this deer herd, Josh Pollock, I the guy's a stud and he has he has big vision he understands um he's firm in his commitments and and he listens too you know i mean we have a we have a little committee here uh myself white heat and some of these other guys uh, called friends of the pomps and we attend a lot of the rack meetings and stuff and and really push for what we want to see get done and you know before we ever do that you know we we counsel with josh and kind of see what his picture is and it, it's just a really good working team because you have guys that spend 200 days out in the hills on this unit that understand the deer and understand what they're seeing coupled with Josh who's extremely knowledgeable in wildlife uh, management and biology and so I do see the future just going really good um, I don't think it's going to be mismanaged with numbers um, if anything I think it's going to grow with opportunity you know case in point he uh, there's a new cactus buck hunt this year on the Ponsagant which I've been jumping up and down on the hood of my truck for years to do because we, we have a lot of cactus bucks for whatever reason. Um, you know, I mean, on any given day, you can go out and at least see two or three. I've, I've videoed as many as nine in one herd. Um, and so there's, a, there's an epidemic of cactus bucks. And, and Josh recognized this and saw it as a great opportunity to maybe give some more tags, um, you know, and let some guys come and kill some of these deer because they're not, there, there's some that are, freakishly giant and and odd looking and guys want to pound them but most guys don't want to wait 20 years draw their pond tag to shoot a shoot a stag and so um in in a way to like i said get more opportunity get people down here maybe get these deer out of the out of the herd and uh, more importantly uh, scientifically research what causes this um you know now there's a cactus butt on a stag on the on the pond scum, which is awesome so um, I know there's a lot of guys that <clears throat> most of the guys I've been talking to the last few weeks about, you know, applying for it. It's usually their kids or something, you know, Hey, would, could my kid come to, would it be hard? You know, it, no, it'd be easy. It'd be fun. And you know, it's given, a, it's given a kid an opportunity to come down on the pond, you know, see some giant deer and, and have a fun laid back hunt that, 
uh, I want to say the dates are like the sixth through the eighteenth of November. So <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna wow. be awesome as far as opportunity wise for the guys that come down here. Are you gonna shoot a big old dirty giant cactus buck? Probably not. But are you gonna have a fun hunt and it's gonna be laid back and easy? Yeah. And so I I, I I'm really <clears throat> appreciative of what Josh is doing <clears throat> doing in terms of that stuff. <clears throat> Another thing too, he just. Uh, this winter, they, they radio collared some bucks on the Ponsagant, which was really awesome. I mean, my boys ran out the one day and, and watched them go and, and net gun and bring them back and do all their um, research, their their blood draws, temperatures, everything, put the collars on them and let them loose. And his Josh's goal and the DWR's goal with that is to um, just monitor migration patterns because this, this deer herd is unique in the fact that you know, they migrate because they were told to and they were babies and that's it. You know, I mean, there's it's not weather-related, it's not feed-related, it's not rut-related. They just pick up and mass exodus, you know, around the 1st of October, through, through the month of October. Um, and so it's kind of it's kind of neat to see how far some of these deer have gone. He was showing me um, the, the studies they did last year um, and on, on some of the does, and it blew my mind how far some of those does went. I, I'm talking not just on the Ponscount, they were on the Beaver unit, uh, Panguitch Lake unit, I mean, not Beaver, um, on the Panguitch Lake unit, and traveling into Arizona, you know, I mean, it's just, it was just crazy, and, and the time frame that they did it in, um, it, it was really, really neat. So we have a lot of positive factors as far as the management of it, the guys in charge, you know, things, things aren't going to get out of hand, um, less of, you know, less of maybe a, a, a a massive winter kill somewhere. Um, everything that in in my the prime of my career that's been done on the ground on the Ponscott has been to better the unit, to better the deer herd. Uh, whether it's what I just talked about, you know, the the big ten foot fence they ran down eighty nine east of Canab here to save the the highway mortality. You know, I mean, everything's going in the right direction to make this unit and to keep it, you know, the best in the world. So um, I'm I'm really excited. With, with with all that being said, um, just phenomenal to hear, you know, the excitement in your voice because I, I know years ago it was like, oh, man, what, you know, the, the crown jewel of Utah and, and it just, you know, went to crap for lack of a better term. But it's so cool to hear the excitement in your voice. I'm sitting here thinking as an Arizona resident, if the Ponsagot herd is doing phenomenal and it is, is a migrating herd and they've put in this big fence, I mean, is 12B on the Arizona side, obviously the quality of that hunt goes up for that late hunt because a lot of those Ponsacot deer, you know, migrate into Arizona. Am I thinking correctly and thinking that, you know, possibly that 12B is going to, you know, have a surge in, you know, quality? <clears throat> yeah, I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I don't know if surge is the, what is the correct word. Um, but it's definitely going to improve. You know, when we first put the fences up, we got all this backlash from, from Arizona guys saying, you blocked our deer, you know. Trapped and our now deer. They're not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's been, it's been long enough now. It's been a generation of fawns that they're using those underpasses better than they were. And, you know, that first year, Jay, no lie, it, it did affect it. Because I run cameras on that south side of 89 on, you know, Pine Nut, Mustang, all that country going over to the Kaibab and 12B. And I went from getting 1,000 pictures a week to 210, you know, because they were, they seen that fence, were scared of that. But again, once that generation happens and, and um, 
you know, they, they adapt. Now it's back to how it was. I mean, there's cameras out there. I, I fill up cards in two weeks if I don't get out there enough, you know. So um, it's coming back, and like you said, it, it's just a ripple effect, you know. I mean, it, the more deer that make it on our side, if we share that deer herd with Arizona, absolutely. Um, I've never been a firm believer that a bunch of our deer go over there anyway. Um, some do, yes, and, and some 12B guys and the 12B West guys, they're, they're killing Ponscott deer for sure. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not like you'd think. It's not like it shocks me how many guys think when I talk to them on the phone, they're like, wow, you're, you're, you're blocking all of our deer, and now we don't have a deer. And I'm like, really? I mean, living where, living where I live, I get to see a lot of the deer, especially the big deer that get killed. And I'm like, you know, I, I might recognize one or two a year, you know, like, oh, you yeah. know, but, so it's, but, but yes, it's going to get better. Um, it's going to help the other side of the fence because it's basically, we, we drew the line in the sand that said, what's Utah and Arizona? Those deer don't know any different, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so we've talked about the Pontagot. Talk a little bit about the Henrys and the status of the Henrys and, um, what kind of year did they have last year? And, and looking forward, what what are you thinking? Um, you know, now that I've kind of just destroyed draws for the Ponsagon. <laughs> 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 uh, no, um, you know that <clears throat> the Henrys will always be the Henrys. There will always be big deer there. Always, you know, I. It amazes me how many guys I've talked to that are just doing. Oh, the Henrys are done. It's over. And I'm like, ah, you know, I don't. I, I don't see it like that. I, I see it as you know, maybe maybe we're maybe we're given a few too many tags. Maybe the 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 cream gets cherry picked too easily over there because it's such a huntable unit. Because it's in all reality, it's I don't want to say it's not hard to kill a big deer over there, but it's not hard to find a big deer. Um, you know, so they they definitely have the disadvantage, <clears throat> the big bucks over there. You know, if you especially if he's standing up on a big side hill and in the middle of summer for everybody to see him, he's in deep trouble. We're just too good to killers anymore, and um, there's too many hardcore guys that go over there that it's hard to get age on a deer. Um, there still are areas, you know. I mean, we smoked that buck two years ago way down in the, in the blue clay in the desert that nobody was really looking for. And um, so, and that deer was old. I think he got his tooth back. He was eight, which blew my mind for a Henry Mountain deer. Um, so... You know, I mean, there are little hidden pockets, and truth be told, we've got two or three really good deer this year over there that made it through that I'm sure some other guys may have seen them, but not a lot of guys. So um, there are those little areas like that. Um, I think it's going to have a great year, personally, and it's just because, you know, whether we have, whether we book hunters over there or not, we scout it like we do have hunters every year. And we had, <clears throat> we had some really good potential, some good four- and five-year-old deer that I know are going to be big this year. Um, and we had, you know, like I said, two or three that were older age class deer that just, you know, they, they all lived. We've seen them all in the winter range. So, and I know I, it tells me that either they didn't get hunted that hard or not a lot of people knew about them. So um, I think it's going to be good. I really do. Um, the The moisture over there doesn't have as much as the adverse effect as it does down here right on the border. Um, there's always, you know, they, they walk from 5,200 feet to 10,000 feet in in an hour if they wanted to, and they can get up where there's green grass, they can get up where there's more moisture. Um, there's <clears throat> there's seeps and springs and, 
and different water sources over there to kind of maintain it more than uh, we're, we're, we're so dependent on getting some some rain, you know, down here. So I think it's going to be really good. I, I've applied a lot of guides for the Henrys this year when they're like, well, why am I not putting in for the Ponscon? Well, I just, I don't think the Ponscon is going to be awesome. I think the Henrys has a chance of having a sneak up year. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm seeing the Henrys going to manage the management of it. <clears throat> you know, they, they started a, archery management hunt, muzzleloader management. I mean, they have more hunts, and so they're given more opportunity too. And personally, I, I, don't, I don't see that as a good thing. Um, I, I would like to see us, you know, it was the holy grail for a lot of years, you know, when they opened up in 2000. It was not just in Utah. I mean, in the West, it was the Henry Mountains. And I'd like to maybe see them manage it more for like that. We'll, we'll only give a handful of guys the opportunity over an extended amount of years. Yeah, but what, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with that. We have a lot of opportunity units. We have a lot of um, <clears throat> other places where guys can go burn their points and go hunt and have fun and have potential at big deer. Um, we don't need to make the Henry's an opportunity unit, in my opinion. And so I, I'd like to see them throttle it back a little bit. I'm not, I'm not over there managing it. I'm not... Um, trying to keep with their, their age class and their buck-to-door ratio, so it's easy for me to sit out here and say that, but um, that's just a personal opinion. The, you know, the one unit that I think is going to really shock and all guys this year is the Oak Creek, the Fillmore Oak Creek area. Um, it's been coming on strong lately, and I've actually been dumping a lot of clients on that one this year in the application game um, just because it's, I think it's short-lived. <laughs> It's starting to get a little bit of a buzz now, and you know they started they started doing landowner tags a few years ago, and so it brought in the hardcore guys, and and we've been fortunate enough to kind of cherry pick a few of the good deer off there the last few years, um, but it's it's on fire. One of my main guides, uh, Neil Clayton, uh, he he lives in Delta, so he lives right on the unit, and he gets to see it just as much as I get to see the pond scout. And you know, we were talking the other day, he says, man, there's still snow high and there's green grass on the north slopes. It's, you know, the deer are healthy, they're fat. They they had a perfect winter. There was really good carryover. We had four bucks that were 200 or over that squeaked through. So, um, you know, there's going to be, I think it's going to have a phenomenal year. I think after this year, it's going to be, people are going to have three choices in my mind in Utah for a big deer instead of just Ponscon or Henry's, Ponscon or Henry. I think guys ought to start looking at the Oak Creek really hard, um, you know, and if, if especially if they're a, a real physical hunter because it's not an easy mountain. There's hardly any roads on it. It's it's as close to a sheep hunt slash mule deer hunt as, as you can get uh, as far as the terrain, which is awesome, you know. I mean, it has that gives that opportunity for those guys that can get it done and it kind of keeps some of the other guys out so are there any i think it's going to be really good are there any other deer hunts um looking at these late muzzleloader hunts looking at some of these rifle hunts um are there any other units that you say you know a guy can maybe find a, a decent deer or you know let's say someone's you know looking for a you know 170 class deer are there a couple other units that jump out at you as, as might fall under that category all, all for sure. Um, for sure. I mean, there's there, our general season hunts. In all reality, they, they smoke our limited entry hunts in terms of size of deer, in terms of number of size of deer. Even I mean, there's some of the best deer we kill. You know, our, our governor's tag deer hasn't been killed off the hinges of the Ponce Mountain in a lot of years. 
excuse me, it's come off general season units. Granted, it's a general season unit that might be loaded up with some private where a deer can get old, but, um, you know, there's, those late model loader hunts are, I think, are awesome in the term, in the fact that um, it gives guys opportunity. You know, you're not just solely going for Ponce Scott Henry, Ponce Scott Henry. Your limited entry points on those late months loader hunts are applied directly for those hunts in particular. Um, even though they're a general season unit, the DWR deems it as a, a limited entry experience. So guys are burning 14 and 15 points on a late muzzleloader hunt on the Zion or the Pine Valley. or um, You know, they didn't, they didn't quite meet their buck-to-doe ratio on the boulder this year, so they pulled that one, which was kind of personally depressing because there's a couple of really good deer that we can find on that later hunt. And um, But there's, in terms of a 170-type deer, every single one of our general season units has that opportunity, every single one. Um, and so... The, the trouble you contend with is crowds, you know, um, if, you, if you don't go after the limited entry late muzzleloader hunts, if you just want to come up the archery, the muzzleloader, the rifle hunts on any of our general season units, it's crowded, but they don't take a lot of points to draw. It's something you can draw three or four times in a 12-year period, you know, 15-year period to where you can come back, put boots on the ground, gain more knowledge, as close to the old school, you know, family hunts, big camps that you can get if you get it right with a group of guys. And you can start figuring stuff out. I mean, you know, there's 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 some really good hunting opportunity wise and some really good bucks to be had on our general season units. So um I definitely wouldn't definitely wouldn't um hesitate in a guy coming out here hunting, uh just to see it because there's there's a lot of good opportunity. David, I know you have limited time this morning. Uh tell me a little bit about your application service. Uh, and how you perform your application service? Um, so, so basically, it's it's kind of modeled after a lot of the ones that are out there now. Um, I've I've been doing it for a lot of years. Um, never really hung a shingle on it or solicited it much until uh, a few years ago. Just decided that I've I've got a ten year old um, boy and a boy that turns nine here in a few days in the house, and and uh, you know I, I I've a light went off one day, and I've got the best 10 years of my life ahead of me with those boys, so I decided to make a run with it, um, but it's a it's a small run. You know, I don't, my business model is different than, than most of them out there. I, I want less is more to me. Um, you know, the, the, <laughs> the Jerry Maguire approach, fewer clients, less money, that type of thing, but it's but enough to pay the bills and, and experience, like I said, the best 10 years of my life with my boys here, so that's why I decided to do it. Um, it's something I've had a passion for. Uh, my dad never really hunted out of state growing up, and um, the minute I turned 16, I was burning burning tires off trucks just to go see this stuff. So I've always had a, a desire for research and to see if the grass is really greener on the other side of the hill, and so I've just taken that passion and, and what I've done the last 20 years of my life and, and turned it into a business. So um, the way the application service works, is uh, we sign you up as a client. We take care of all your applications for you. We apply in 20 different states, um, a handful of states east of the Mississippi, all western states, Alaska included. And um, it's it's whatever level you want. I have guys that um, do a few states themselves. We handle the rest. I have guys that just want um, some consulting and some advice that are members. And then I have guys that it's out of sight, out of mind. They fill out the portfolio application form. Um, we build it for them and spend a, a fair amount of time on the phone with them during those first three or four conversations to get uh, some knowledge of who you are, what your goals are, um, 
you know, where you want to be hunting in short-term and distant future, and, and we construct those portfolios based off that individual's goals. Um, I can tell you there's not two application portfolios in my system that mirror each other. Everybody's different. Everybody wants to do something different. And so the customization, the personalization, that's what we excel in. Um, you pick up the phone, you drop me an email, you're going to get me. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take care of everything that you need taken care of, whether it's in my wheelhouse or maybe a little bit outside my comfort zone. We'll get it figured out. So um, the knowledge we have internally with a, with a couple of my working partners is great. Um, speaking of which, you know, I've... I've uh, Recently went into business with a couple guys in, and we developed an app called Basecamp, which is um, a mobile app that's on your phone. That you can have all your draws at your fingertips. Uh, we expanded it to the realm of some other neat features. Uh, you know, we have a store. We have a storefront where we sell hunting apparel, optics, um, gear. Um, we're coming out with our own line of dehydrated food. Um, in fact, it'll be out in about two and a half months. We went through all the testing, USDA, everything. Um, we're working on packaging right now, uh, really similar to um, Mountain House, but it's um, it's built to taste better, to be cleaner um, for the hunter with the big push that everybody's doing with the fitness and the hunting. There was nobody really capitalizing on that. So um, I'm excited to get that out there. Um, base camp has all the draws you need currently right now for Utah, New Mexico, Wyoming, Idaho, um, in the next two weeks, we'll have Colorado and Oregon out. Um, but it's been a lot of fun, and it's something that it's absolutely free. Um, go to the App Store. You can download it. You can have all the draws at your fingertips. Um, we have Again, we have the storefront where you have everything there. You can build your, pro your profile, keep track of your points. Um, it's just it's, it's kind of the total opposite of what I do with the application service, but there's a lot of DIY guys out there that, that just want to know the knowledge themselves. So we were doing the research anyway and just decided to, maybe hand it over to the guys that just needed that little bit of edge to get out here and get applying and get some tags in their pocket, come hunting. And so it's, that, there's a lot of exciting things going on, um, you know, with what I'm doing personally. Base camp's just one of them. Um, the application service is, is, uh, is something that I've been extremely proud of the last two years. It's grown way more than I ever anticipated. Um, well, I am, I really think I'll hit my, my goal clientele-wise by probably the end of this year. And then I have a couple other a couple other guys that I think are going to come on and just add to this thing and, and make it be better. Uh, again, the business model with what, what I have with Verasco's on application service is personal attention. So if, if, we, do, if we do bring another guy on, he's going to have his clients, and they're going to they're gonna have him too, and vice versa. So it's no longer you're going to call in somewhere and get somebody sometimes, somebody another time, be bounced around. You're going to have a personal, you know, consultant that is taking care of all your hunting needs. And, and right now it's it's been a lot of fun. So I'm excited. We drew, we drew some phenomenal tags last year. I already drew a dull sheet tag for one of our guys this year in Alaska. Um, you know, we, we've got it stacked to where this personal attention allows you to really get strategic with the guy's points in his portfolio, not just blanket apply them. You know, the reason we draw so many tags is because we really look at it. We spend time on the phone, which, you know, if, if you had 500, even 500 guys, it, I don't know if you could get it done. I mean, you really, so this keeping it smaller is a lot of fun because 
we're drawing tags and booking hunts and watching watching big smiles in in the fall you know so um i'm excited about it good stuff um your guide service uh north rim uh hunts what exactly do you guys guide for uh in the state of utah every animal um, per, or, or is yeah the, pretty the much or, you know, we, Utah's not known for for big antelope, and so once in a blue moon, we'll we'll book an antelope hunter. Um, you know, if they draw a tag, especially down here, you know, in the Southwest Desert country, or you know, around home on the Ponsagon or the the Plateau Park, or you know, things like that, um, we'll take an antelope hunter. But not very often. We specialize mainly in deer and elk. Um, we'll take sheep hunters whenever we can get them. It's just we don't issue a lot of tags. You know, that's the one bad thing about Utah from a non-resident perspective is it's the toughest state in the West to, to draw. And so um, non-resident-wise, so when when we get a sheep hunter, it's we're pretty giddy about it. But um, we specialize in deer, elk, sheep, um, mountain goat, same thing as a sheep. Once in a while, we, we book a mountain goat hunter. We're always up there scouting them and, and looking at them whether it's sheep or mountain goats so it's just like i say it's tough to <clears throat> it's tough to book a client on it because of the the, the few tags that are issued but yeah um, i know you've got yeah. another i know you've got another appointment uh, uh real fast we'll end on uh top five elk units in utah go um <laughs> from 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 my view viewpoint uh i've always been in love with the boulder um i think it's it's just a nasty unit that you can hold deer or hold bulls over to an older age class to where you know you're you're not going to kill them all so it has that potential to always have big bulls um just be strictly because of the terrain and the habitat of the unit so the boulder is one of my favorite units Uh, and this is strictly from a non-resident's perspective um Another reason I like the boulders, they, they have random tag, you know, in, in their hunts. So you're not just going after that one beaver mountain tag or that one San Juan tag, you know. So you have a chance at, at something that's random after you weed out a, a max point pool guy as well. So um, I like the boulder. I like the beaver. Um, uh, of course, the San Juan. It's it's just, it is what it is. Uh, I actually like the Southwest Desert a lot. My brother had a Southwest Desert late tag last year. We had a couple of just dirty bulls found. The problem with the Southwest Desert is, you know, two things. They break and they're border jumpers, you know. So they might be in Nevada. They might be busted up. And that's what happened on the bull we had for my brother. He he broke all the pieces, so he ended up turning his tag back. But it has huge potential. Um, it's not my favorite unit to hunt, but it, it grows big bulls. Um, and as, for an opportunity, as a, as a number five, an opportunity unit, I'd look at the Fish Lake. Um there's more there's there's more random tags issued on the fish lake than any of those units I I described you know almost put together so the opportunity to put a tag in your pocket uh, is great there are some big bulls on the fish lake it's a giant unit um, you hunt them anywhere from sage and cedars to above pines you know so I mean it's it's diverse there's a lot of area to hunt it never is too crowded certain areas always are but I like I like the fish lake for guys that are looking for you know a 330 plus type hunt um where they're going to be in a lot of action a lot of elk it's probably in it's got to be in the top five just because of that um, just to throw in an opportunity unit but the Monroe is coming back really really strong right now um they, they did away with that spike hunt a few years ago and the age class is starting to rally um there was a giant bull i think the times up guys killed with 
one of their family members, I think it was on the archery hunt. Um, it was over 400. And so, I mean, the Monroe's making a surge for sure uh, uh, in, in a comeback way. So it just, like I say, Jay, it just sucks when I talk to these guys about Utah because there's so few of tags that it's, it's hard to, the bulls are there, the bucks are there, the sheep are there, whatever's, you know, the, the animals you want to hunt are there. It's just you got to go into it with, with your eyes wide open going, man, the reason I'm applying for Utah is because of what we have, because the odds right. of drawing tag are, are not in your favor. So the good thing is it's cheap. You know, you can buy a non-resident hunting, you have to buy a non-resident hunting license for 65 bucks. It's $10 per species after that. So you can get into this state and a handful of species for a hundred bucks a year, which in the application game, that's cheap. There's random tags issued. Um, the way we allocate our tags is a 50-50 split. So 50% of the available tags go to the highest point pool, 50% go random. If there's an odd number of tags, say there's three elk tags, they always favor to the random guys. So one will go in the bonus pass pool, um, the other two go random. So there is that one punch chance on some of these good things. And for the price of admission, it's, it's a, definitely a state everybody needs to be applying for. Right on, man. So, I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can find you, how they can uh, contact you, follow you, etc. Okay. Well, um, first of all, thanks for having me on here, Jay. I really appreciate it. I do. Um, sorry I, I get rambling and eat up time quick. There's, there's a lot more stuff I wanted to kind of talk to you about and, and let your listeners know, you know, just, just some new things um, that I blew by. The, the Pontagon hunt is now going to run until the 31st of October, no matter what year it starts on. That's something new and exciting for you rifle hunters. You know, I mean, there's some early rifle hunts now on, on, uh, on some of our general season hunts that run from October 10th through the 14th. To You know, there, there's a lot of things I didn't touch on, and I apologize. Maybe we can rally up again shortly and bring guys back up to speed on some other things. But um, I appreciate you having me on here. Let me, let me burn up some air with with uh with some info um guys you can you can find me at uh, on instagram at verosco um v-i-r-o-s-t-k-o you can drop me a line on my personal cell it's 435-616-5051 i have it with me everywhere 24 7 um, or you can drop me an email at northrimhunts at gmail.com it's northrim like the grand canyon hunts with an s at gmail.com and I'm looking at your website, VeroscoHunts.com. It's oh, a sweet, yeah. web, sweet website. Yeah, yeah. And we we just launched that about a year and a half ago too. So yeah, VeroscoHunts.com. Um, it shows everything what we do as far as the application service. Um, Northrim Outfitters, the guiding service. Um, there's an application page that you can fill out a application form if you're wanting to let me take care of your your hunt application needs, your hunt booking needs. So um, check it out, guys. Thanks so much, David, uh, and uh, congrats on such a big deer and, and, and getting to shoot a giant uh, yourself. I know you're always helping clients, but it's always nice to get a big one yourself. Congrats on that, and thanks for sharing and spending time with us here this morning. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Jay. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. You too. Bye.